So we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 21 is where we'll be together this morning, if you haven't already found it. Um, Should I stay or should I go? This is the (laughs) the game we played last night (laughs) with a couple people. Um, But it's also, um, (laughs) maybe that's why I titled it this way because it was on my mind. But um, it's also where we find Paul. This is... Paul is determined to go to Jerusalem. Luke, in his gospel, I've mentioned this the last couple of weeks, but I'll say it again. Luke, in his gospel, from chapter 9 onward, we find that half of Luke's gospel is Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Jesus knowing, this is where I'm headed. This is my destination where things are going to come to a head, where stuff's going to happen that I don't necessarily want to happen that I don't want it to necessarily happen the way that it's going to happen, but I know what the future holds, and I'm going to walk forward all the while trusting the Lord in it and giving us an example by which we too can, as Christians, follow in his footsteps. And being Christians, little Christs, you know, we're, we're not the Messiah. We don't save people, but we are called to be like him. We're all, we are called to imitate him. I mean, Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And this is what we find in Acts. So Luke, being the author of Acts also, he has kind of in the second, um, you know, in these last few chapters, and even especially in this chapter, we have Paul and his journey to Jerusalem. And, and the way that Luke writes this, it's very similar to how He had presented Jesus going to Jerusalem. Paul has his mindset on going to Jerusalem. But we'll find here when we read this that there are instances where people are saying, Hey, Paul, should you really go? And certainly in Paul's mind, at certain points, you just have to think of him as a human wondering to himself, Is this really what I should be doing? You have the people asking that question to him. Is this really what you should be doing? Should you stay? We want you to stay. You think you should go, but we love having you here. Um, And how much loss we're going to endure by you not being with us. But Paul said there's something bigger going on here, as Jesus um, demonstrated for us even in himself. And so that's a a little bit of what we find here in the first 16 verses as he finally gets to Jerusalem. So yeah, spoiler alert, um, he actually does go to Jerusalem. So he does go. But um, let's read this, Acts chapter 21, starting in verse one, I'll read to verse 16. It says, and when we had parted from them, so that's in Ephesus, the elders in Ephesus. So when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, And the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. Having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. 
When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. So, should he stay or should he go? Um, sometimes we can look at someone in history, we can look at someone like Paul, and we can think that this guy is puffed up. This guy sees himself as being more than what he ought to see himself as. Maybe he has some sort of Messiah complex. Our God is a missionary God. He's a God who does not stay put. He is not confined to one area. He is a God who goes. He is a God who sins. If if we're not aware of this fact, just think about the reality of God sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to be born of a virgin to live in humble by humble means not having his own house not having a place to lay his head he sent Jesus to us to be with us even though I'm sure heaven is slightly more comfortable than Nazareth than Jerusalem, than the Middle East. Um, But God sins. And and this is some of what we see Paul doing. He's going. As as you go, I, I think whenever we consider the Great Commission in our own lives, God's call that he has put on us, Jesus' command to his disciples before he ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, to be our intercessor, to be our advocate. Jesus says, go. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations. Our God is a missionary God and he chooses to use us to go out on mission and to proclaim the gospel, to build new communities of faith, to build each other up, to teach, to train, and then to send people out again. And Paul, we see it over and over and over again. 
he has a mindset of going. This is what God has called him to do. And it's not what God has called all of us to do in the same way that he calls Paul to do it. But Paul knows what God has told him to do. Paul has aspirations to continue to proclaim the gospel where the gospel has not been proclaimed yet. So when he writes to the Romans, I mean, earlier this week we um, had a seminary for a day um, event at a local church in Bristol. And it was an evangelism professor from Southeastern Seminary. And he said that the book of, I think he said, anyways, I heard this somewhere. I think it was there. He said the book of Romans is basically like a, a, a letter of asking them to support him. It's a, it was a missionary support letter. Paul was writing the book of Romans to tell the Roman people, hey, I need your help as I am planning on going to Spain. I mean, that's what he says in Romans 15. He says, look, I, I, I want to see you. I want to know you. But like, if I do stop and see you, it's only going to be for a short period of time because you're clearly already a church established in Rome. I, I don't need to do more work there. I, I can encourage you. I want to support you. I want to teach you and train you in some capacity. But there are people at the ends of the earth who have yet to hear the proclamation of the gospel. And I want to go and do that because that's what God has called me to do in my Capacity as an apostle to the Gentiles. I want to keep going. I want to keep making new disciples in places where Christ is yet to be proclaimed. For some of us, we might not have that exact same attitude of we have to keep going different places. Some of us are born and raised here in this area. Many of us, even in this room, are are not from here. We're we're not born and raised here. We haven't spent much time here. Some of us have spent, you know, a dozen years. Some of us have spent a couple years. Some of us have spent a couple months here. And, you know, what you're not going to hear me say is you have to go. You have to go somewhere else. But I also do want to make sure that you hear that you're called to go and make disciples. And so whether that's here in Abingdon or that's somewhere else, as the Lord leads you, as he puts on your heart and stirs you to go and proclaim the gospel to the nations, to the people who have yet to respond to it, to the people who have yet to hear it, I want to support you in that. We as a church, that like the whole point of why we exist is again those those three words gospel community mission like we we believe the gospel we believe that we are to proclaim the gospel to ourselves and to anybody around us who's willing to give us the time who we've maybe sometimes earned the right to proclaim the gospel to because we've befriended them because we've shown them that we care about them as a person and sometimes we just, God gives us the opportunity to go and proclaim it to somebody who we've never met before. And it's, hey, I see you on the street. Let's have a conversation. And I'm, since this is my identity, this is what I'm going to say to you because you can't know me. And this is something that this evangelist professor said on Tuesday. You can't know me unless you also know what I believe and who I am in Christ. Like, if you can get to know me apart from who I am in Christ, then maybe that ought to throw some switches in my mind to say, hey, uh, 
Maybe I don't know Christ the way that I ought to. Maybe I don't truly depend on him the way that I am called to. If him, his presence is not evident in the things that I say and in the way in which I live. Like it ought to be coming out. It ought to be constant. And and so we're called to proclaim the gospel to ourselves, that we would remind ourselves that we're not dependent on our own selves for salvation or for sanctification, that we can't change our hearts, that only God can do that work, and that he is ready and willing to do that work. And sometimes it's a slow, arduous, painful process that's not immediate. I mean, it's taken 19 years for, for Brooke to try and train me, and she still has barely gotten anywhere. Right? I mean, you know, sometimes the discipleship process takes a lot longer than we want it to take. And we learn slowly the things of the Lord and and, and our hearts, it takes sometimes a long time to change. Sometimes he changes us immediately. I mean, just overnight, all of a sudden, the desires that we once had aren't there anymore. The, the things that we struggled with, we don't struggle with anymore. God can do that, and sometimes he does. But sometimes it's just a constant, hey, there's difficulty here. And so we proclaim it to ourselves, we proclaim it to other people, and then we build each other up in community. We encourage one another in the gospel. And you see Paul doing this even as he is traveling to places and meeting disciples he's never met before. So he, he tears himself away from the Ephesian elders, people that he has spent years with, ministered to, night and day in tears and in hardships. And he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. But on the way, we're going to make some stops because that's just how the world works. Ain't no straight boat from Ephesus to Jerusalem. And so he says, hey, as we have time, as we have opportunity, I'm gonna, I want to be with other disciples. I want to build up other people and I want other people to build me up. So even in the midst of him trying to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost, in verse 4, He seeks out the disciples, disciples he doesn't know, a church he's never been a part of. He doesn't know where they meet. He doesn't know who they are. They stayed there seven days and they got to know these people. So that at the end, when they departed, it wasn't only the men, but the but the women and the children also go to the beach to where the ship is going to depart from. And they kneel down together and pray with Paul. Saying farewell, like they care. They, even just in a week's time, they have grown to love each other so much that, like, hey, we're, we're taking time out of our day to go and send you off, knowing what you're doing. And, and even all the while, in that seven days, we've been trying to convince you that you don't need to go. I, I'm sure they were probably saying, hey, this is, this is the Apostle Paul that is in our midst that we've heard so many things about. Man, it would be great if you stayed with us for more than a week. There's so much we could learn. There's so much you can teach us. There's so much we can benefit one from another. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's like, that's why they were saying you shouldn't go. 
But certainly that had to kind of creep in their minds. But building up each other in community is an important aspect of who we are as Christians. We encourage one another. We're, we're vulnerable with one another. We open ourselves up. We, we get to know one another so that we can know our strengths and weaknesses, so that we can know how to, how to, how to prod each other forward, how, how to say, hey, I, I've been seeing this in your life because I've been walking with you for some period of time, and I know that this seems to be a struggle for you, and it used to be a struggle for me too, or, or it is a struggle for me too, and, and the Lord's shown me grace, and here's how he's shown me grace, and I think he can show you grace also. Or, hey... I, I see you and where you're at and how you've grown. Like, teach me what the Lord has done in your life. Like, like show me what he's taught you so that I can learn. But if all we ever do is, is say, I want to learn a bunch of stuff about the Bible. And I, and I want to learn how to, how to be a, a better disciple in my own body and my heart and my mind and it never goes to the extent that I'm actually going out in my into my community or, or out in the spheres of influence that I am in, in in work or in school or in my free time and the things that I enjoy doing then then I am neglecting to realize that God has sent me to be a disciple who goes and makes disciples. And if my discipleship is always centered around me, then it's a, it's a twisted sort of discipleship. It's not a, a true understanding of what God has clearly demonstrated to us through his own son, Jesus Christ, and then through the examples of the apostles and the early disciples that we have recorded for us. And sometimes when we're trying to build each other up, we are, we don't always have the right answers. We're not always exactly sure of what we should say or how we should say it. Sometimes we try to lead people down a path that maybe they're not supposed to go down. And that's what's happening somewhat a couple times here in our text. I mean, it says in verse 4, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Like, I mean, there's some balance, some level here of it's not just the people's selfishness that's saying we want Paul for ourselves. In some capacity, it's through the Spirit. Like, Paul... We love you. We want what's best for you. And, and, and our hearts are in the right place. But clearly, this was not God's will for Paul to stay, to not go to Jerusalem. There's um, one commentator he makes this statement. He says, people who love us may try to shield us from the cross. And, and, and I think he's saying that not from the cross of Jesus, but from our own cross, 
from, from the cross that we've been called to bear. People who love us may try to shield us from the cross. They may, they may unintentionally be, or intentionally be trying to keep us from enduring the suffering that God has planned for us so that he can display his glory through us. In Luke chapter 9, Like I, I have, I have to think when when Luke is writing this account in Acts, when he's writing the gospel, like he has to be playing off of one or the other when he's doing these things. He has to be thinking to himself, "Here's the point that I made when I wrote the gospel that I'm demonstrating, and I'm writing Acts 21." In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is quoted as saying in verse 23, Luke 9, 23, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus says that before he goes to the cross. He says that certainly to a bunch of disciples and a bunch of people who are kind of interested in in who this guy is, what he has to teach, what he has to say. And he says to take up your cross. And this is right before in chapter 9, right before he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders and they're going to beat me and flog me and mock me and i'm going to i'm going to be killed and on the third day i'm going to rise from the dead but this is before he goes to the cross he's in luke 9 jesus is saying take up your cross certainly this has to be like what is he talking about the disciples have to be wondering themselves i don't get this and I think sometimes even for us, when we have the whole council of Scripture and, and we're reading through that, it's easy for us to skim over it and say, okay, take up your cross daily and follow me. Oh, I've got to, I have to wake up 15 minutes earlier than I normally would because I have to read my Bible. That's my cross to bear. You know, like, um, <laughs> like I, oh, I, oh, I, oh, I'm supposed to like see myself and like, and my money is not my money, but I'm a steward of that money that God has given to me. And so maybe I should like give it away to other people in some capacity at certain points and in certain ways. Maybe I should support the work of the ministry that other people are doing, support missionaries, support the work of the church, give to people who are less fortunate than me and don't have the means that I have. Oh, you're asking me to actually give up something in my life? You're, you're asking me to go to a place I haven't been to before? You're asking me to endure suffering at the hands of people who don't deserve my grace? And, and God says, yeah. These are some of the things that, yeah. And, I, and, and I'm not asking you to do it without having demonstrated to you first that, I've, that I'm doing it. That I'm expending myself, that I'm giving myself to you. Jesus is not calling us to go and take up our cross daily and follow him. And 
he's going to Aruba on vacation. Like, he's, he's literally giving his body and his blood for the very people who are denying him, for the very people who are hating him, for the very people who are taking his body and his blood, who are nailing him on the cross. Father, forgive them. They're so lost, they have no clue what they're even doing. They have no capacity to understand what the world is happening here. And Jesus says, I love these people. They don't deserve me. They don't deserve my grace. And that's why, and that's why I'm here. Because even though they don't deserve it, I'm showing them that yet while they were still sinners, I love them. And sometimes we find ourselves, especially as Americans, in a position to say, if this requires you to endure hardship and difficulty, then maybe that's not the Lord's will for you. Because certainly, us Americans have found the key to success and happiness and joy. Where we have all the things that we'd ever wanted. We have all the riches that can pay for all the things that people in history would have wanted and never had any, any percentage glimpse of. And, and, and we, we come across a potential difficulty in relationships. We come across an opportunity to to go somewhere and do something that is outside of our norm, outside of our typical comfort zone. And we say, I just don't know that the Lord's leading me to do that because that would require a sacrifice on my part. And I leave the sacrifice to Jesus. And we don't realize the opportunities that the Lord has that in our weaknesses he shows himself to be strong. That, that in our most difficult moments, maybe that's when he really intends to shine through and to shine his light in those situations so that it's not just about us. It's not really about us at all. But it becomes about him and, and about his glory and about people seeing the true nature of who he is and what he has done and how he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, how he's gracious and merciful. So sometimes for ourselves and sometimes for the people that are next to us, the people that we love dearly, we want to shield them from the difficulties of this life. We want to guard them. And I think in, in many ways that's appropriate. I'm not asking any of us. I'm not asking myself to suffer 24-7. But I think we ought to ask the question... Of ourselves, are, are we enduring any hardship for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the proclamation of the gospel, for the furtherment of the kingdom of God, for the renown of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, instead of for my comfort, for my appeasement? And, 
And if we ask ourselves that question and the answer is in no capacity that we are extending ourselves beyond our natural limits and depending on the grace of God to come through and to shine through, then what's really, what's really happening? Like, what are we really accomplishing? How are we really inviting God to show up and to show off in the moments when we really want him to? I don't even know if I'm talking about Acts 21 anymore. <laughs> the, we, we find this again a second time um, in the next little bit. So Paul leaves those people. In verse 7, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. That's all we had time for with him was just one day. But you see this. He has a constant attitude of trying to be with God's people. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Um, sort of a side note, but... Uh, not really in Luke's mind. I think he, he, he records this this way and he makes it clear that um, these young women are prophesying. They have the gift, apparently, of prophecy. Luke cares about women. Luke cares about the marginalized people in our world. And, and for him, in his time, it definitely was women they they were not given the opportunities that men were they were seen as less than and philip the evangelist who who we see earlier on in acts doing works that are amazing god using him in such awesome ways they are able to come through and to see Hey, like not only this man, not only this man, but also his daughters. Like the work that God is doing through these young women and how like this is important to them. This is important for 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 Luke to get across. God cares about you, woman. He cares about you, wife. He cares about you, daughter. He's not just a God of men. And, and I think this is also like one of Luke's ways of, of saying this prophecy that Joel had made in chapter 2 that Peter had proclaimed in his sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that your young men and young women will prophesy. This is an opportunity for Luke to say this is God fulfilling this prophecy from hundreds of years before. That he cares about the people that so many of us don't. And coming to us, uh, I guess I need to back up verse, uh, verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, 
So remember when we read Isaiah chapter 20, you know, these demonstrations, 1 Kings 11 would be another one, Ezekiel 4. Um, oftentimes in the Old Testament, God would use prophets to do a particular thing physically demonstrating what was going to happen to God's people or to God's anointed person, to a king or to a nation or to God's adversaries or Israel's adversaries. And this is just a, a way for the this prophet to say, hey, here's a physical demonstration of what's about to happen to you. So verse 11, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, which I don't even know how you do that. How do you? Um, one commentator was like, this, this must have been an acrobatic display. <laughs> like, how do you, how do, you do that? Um, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there, so Luke is including himself in this. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul, don't do this. If this is what's waiting for you there, why are you subjugating yourself to this future? Don't do it. Then Paul answered, guys. I mean, he probably didn't say guys, but you know. What are you, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're breaking my heart. D- don't you realize I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, I mentioned that, I don't know, it was last week or the week before. In Acts chapter 20, Paul wrote his second letter to the Corinthians. Okay, this is before he goes to Jerusalem. So all the rest of what happens in the book of Acts to Paul is not included in the list that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 of all the hardships and difficulties that he faces in his life. It's only up to that point. It's only up until... Acts chapter 20, that he includes all of these hardships and things and difficulties that he endures for the sake of the gospel so that the grace of God might abound and people might see it and God might be glorified through his body so that in Paul's weaknesses, God's strength would come through. And he says, I've I've been beaten a number of times. I've been flogged. I've been shipwrecked. I've been in hunger and thirst I've been rejected by my own people I've been rejected by the other people I've like I've gone through so much and that's only like the first half of Paul's ministry we have chapters 20 through 28 and then the rest of Paul's life because Paul doesn't even die yet of whatever he endures and being martyred that's not included in 2 Corinthians 11. And we read 2 Corinthians 11 and we're like, look at all these things that Paul's been through. It's, not, it's like half of it. And he's like, I've already endured all that and I'm ready. He says here to these people, I'm ready not only to be imprisoned again, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Like, what's prophesied for me is not even the half of it. I've already gone through hell and back, so to speak. 
Like, I've endured this junk. And I'm not going to stop now if it means that I can be of service to the Christians in Jerusalem. Remember, the whole context of Paul traveling to Jerusalem is not just to go on vacation or to visit the temple again. It's for him. He, he's with a party of people, Luke included, who are giving an offering to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. In chapter 20, there's that list in the beginning of all the people who are traveling with Paul. Paul's not by himself in this journey. Paul is with a band of brothers who are from these different regions and these different churches that he has helped to start and to establish and to encourage. They are traveling with him with a large sum of money from each of them, each of their churches, each of their regions. And Paul is quarterbacking this thing and he's saying, we are going to go because this is worth what they are going to receive. Like the literal physical money that we are bringing, it's worth it for me to go. And if it's worth it, and it is worth it so that they might be provided for. Like, like Paul's not just doing this because he had this random crazy idea. Oh, I need to go to Jerusalem. Like he's, he's actually doing something tangibly for the people there. I've committed myself to go and I'm going to keep going. And he would not be persuaded otherwise. And so they ceased and they said... A statement I think we've heard before. If we're familiar at all with the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus in Luke chapter 22. Luke again records this for us. Certainly this is not just a coincidence. In Luke chapter 22. Jesus went out. As was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And what do the people say to Paul in Acts twenty-one fourteen? And since clearly this cup was meant for Paul, clearly this cup was not going to pass, he was not going to give up, they said, as Jesus said, we have our own will. We have our own desires. We have what we think may be right. But that's not always what God has in store. And we see that now. And we know that there is no other way. And, 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 and Jesus, I, I think he knew there was really no other way, but in his identification with us, he says, Lord, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, I'll take it. But it's not my will. It's your will. Let the will of the Lord be done. So, I've said a lot of things, as I normally do. 
and you might be left kind of wondering, what, like, okay, so what's the point? And I don't know. I don't know what the point is. Should you stay or should you go? <laughs> like, how is it that you should go? If, if we truly believe that we have been called to go and to make disciples, then we ought to be going somewhere, doing something. And that doesn't mean we've got to go to Africa. That doesn't mean we've got to go to the Middle East. But praise God for those people who do. Like, we support our friends in the Middle East who are medical missionaries, doctors there, treating people at a tuberculosis hospital so that they can use their service as an avenue to be able to proclaim the gospel to a bunch of people who don't believe in Jesus, who haven't trusted God. You, you can do that. You can, you can go and spend your life doing that or, or a period of time of your life doing that, of, of serving literally overseas out somewhere where God's calling you to go away from your home, away from everything you've ever known into a different language and do a different, just completely different culture. And maybe that's what God is calling you to do. Maybe he's just calling you to actually get outside of your own comfort zone and what you've been used to and whatever religious training you've been through and to actually say, how can I give myself for the glory of God and for the good of other people that they might hear the gospel? Um, I mentioned earlier that that Brooke and I are, um, Lord willing, going to share our stories on Wednesday uh, night in our community group time. To give you a little bit of a preview, um, like I think it's so easy to, to live a life of comfort that when I was trying to discern for myself and for my family, what did the Lord have in store for us? Like, what, what does the Lord want from us? What is the Lord's will for, for, for my life, for my family's life, instead of my will? I uh, was praying through, I was being discipled by a guy at my home church, and I was like, I, you know, I, I had this direction in my life where I had things pretty well set, it was going to be easy. It was going to be good money and just, uh, yeah, future planned out. And the Lord just was stirring in my heart, hey, maybe this isn't my will for you. And I said, hey, okay, well, uh, what is? And I was, I, I thought, hey, maybe, maybe he's calling me to... To suffer by being a pastor. <laughs> and <laughs> hopefully you take that the right way. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I was like, I, I don't know. And I, had, I, I asked 
um, you know, my, my pastor and associate pastor to be to, to pray with me and and to be praying with me and thinking about this and the guy that was discipling me. And so I, I don't know. Is this is this is this the direction that the Lord has for me And um, this missionary who uh, came to speak, who actually my parents were friends with um, with him and his wife. Um, they have a ton of kids and they were sort of, uh, they had felt a call from God to move. They were actually living in Virginia at the time. Um, he was pastoring a church and they had felt a call to go to Bolivia and to be missionaries down there. And so they had come to our church cause they had spent some time there, you know, 20 years previously and were looking to get some support for their trip because they had a million kids and, you know, kids aren't cheap to fly around the world and to care for. And when this missionary was preaching that Sunday night at our church, um, I was, I was in this season of Lord, what do you want for my life? And thinking that, through that sermon, uh, I just really felt God's call to, and 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 the word the words that I used was let go. Um, you know, let let go of what you've been holding on to. Let let go of what you think is best for your life. Let go of your plans. Like, give them up, and, and I'll, I'll show you where to go. I'll, I'll lead you. I'll be with you as you go. And if you'd have told me that I was going to be here in Abingdon, Virginia, and, you know, However long ago that was, 17 years later, I'd have been like, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> if, if I'd have known all the, all the hardships and the difficulties that, that I've been through, that my family's been through, like... I'd I'd might have I'd might have been like I don't I don't know about that. I'd I'd, I'd might have said I'm not so sure. I do, I'm not sure that's the Lord's will for my life. I don't think someone else would have had to say that for me. I think I'd have, I'd have questioned. I'd have been like I'm not so sure that I'm ready for these small momentary light afflictions to be the story of my life. But it's not about me. It's not about my will. It's not about what I want. And I have to, I have to view these, these, these light momentary afflictions as, as bringing a, a, a greater weight of glory to the Lord and, and, and glory shown through me. And so I just sort of leave that there for you to, to think for yourself, not 
to not to admire me, not to feel bad for me. Not I, like I don't want you to think about me. I want you to think about the Lord and what he's doing in your heart right now. And, and I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I, it, it doesn't matter. You are in a position to be used by God to go and make disciples. To proclaim the gospel, to build up other people in community, and to send one another out on mission. Are you, are you doing that? And, and how can you open up your heart to the Lord to allow him to do that, to do that work through you? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for just the, the story that each of us um, have to this point where you've brought us the grace that you have shown to us in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to, to dwell on that. To think about that. To focus our hearts and our minds on you. Because we can't exhaust our knowledge of you. There is so much more to learn about who you are and what you've done and, and what your plans are for us. God, would you, would you create in us hearts that are ready that are prepared to to walk through your will for our lives and not our own. Lord, reveal that to us, even if it is just step by step. Help us to trust you, sometimes not knowing the destination and not knowing why. But Lord, you've called us And so be with us, work through us. Let your strength shine through in our weakness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.